Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar. I am Editor-in-Chief Dana Wallman. And I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. We're back, and we are here for our second episode, folks. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, Dana and I are here in the office in a genuine recording room, which feels great and fantastic and new for the Engadget Podcast. So, hooray, huzzah. Ben is, he, he, you cannot take the smile away from Ben, our producer. He loves this. He loves having all these fun toys and great microphones around us. Sherlyn is on the West Coast. So this week, we've got a couple of fun topics and some scary ones. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, California's power outages and kind of how that reflects on the realities we're facing during climate change. Also, Andy Rubin is back in the news, the Android founder who uh, left Google in disgrace. He's back with something fun and new, I think. Uh, the big news, though, for us is the release of macOS Catalina, which seems to be kind of messy and certainly kind of messy for an Apple release. So the big question this week, is macOS Catalina Apple's Windows Vista? And Dana, you've been testing Catalina for us. What? Uh, any thoughts here on this? I've been testing Catalina for quite a while. I wrote the preview back in, I believe, June and um, was testing the Grandmaster right before the final version just shipped to the public, I believe, last week. And uh, I was a little surprised to hear of other people having such issues. To be fair, a lot of the issues that we have heard about have um, affected people with perhaps some more specific needs, mm-hmm. um, maybe music makers, certain people in audio professions. Yeah, um, let me let me let me quickly yeah just go over some of those issues. So the big thing is iTunes is dead. They killed it. Finally, it's going to be replaced by the music app and a couple. It's going to be split up into different things. But the important bit is the XML file structure that DJs and a lot of folks relied on for iTunes, which is how you organize your music and your tracks. That's going away. So that means like DJ apps like Recordbox and Tractor just won't work anymore. And from what I've been reading, it sounded like Apple said they were going to have some sort of export ability for XML in the new apps. But it turns out there's nothing. So there's literally no support um, there's also the stuff we've been hearing about for a while. Uh, 32-bit apps are gone, kind of like what, what they did with iOS as well. So that means older apps uh, just won't work anymore. It's all 64-bit, which poses a problem for certain things. Um, Adobe CS 2018, Creative Suite 2018, apparently has 32-bit elements. And that doesn't seem like a very old piece of software, but it is making life difficult for a lot of creators. And uh, there's a little more security now. Downloading apps outside the Mac store 
they have to be notarized. So you'll get security prompts if you try to run anything that's been downloaded. So it's like a bunch of issues. Um, but Dana, you you didn't experience this during your testing? Uh, no. And I mean, I, I think the testing I did reflects my own workflow. And I'm certainly not using some old apps at all. And um, I'm not a music maker, as we all <laughs> well, are well aware. <laughs> so I've been using Catalina over these past few months for my typical workflow at Engadget. Um, I've been using it, uh, getting through it really easily on a lot of typical work days. Um, and that involves my browser work. It involves Spotify. It involves Slack, um, the Notes app. And along the way, I did notice the occasional bug in certain earlier releases, especially. Um, there were a couple bugs in the notes app that were really driving me crazy. There was one involving the photos app. Those seem to have been cleaned up. Um, but it is interesting. I do think my workflow reflects a lot of mainstream users, mm -hmm. uh, reflects the way a lot of mainstream users are using their Macs. Um, but it does seem that this may have been a blind spot, not just in my testing, but maybe in the preview period in general. There are these people with more specific needs um, whose needs either weren't advocated for or taken into account somehow mm. during this this preview period. I don't know if I would call it Apple's Vista <laughs> release. That seems a little harsh. I would note, though, that like right before this, iOS 13 came out. And if you remember, Apple had to, and it was kind of embarrassing for them, they had to release this successive chain of updates. Like, yeah, no, whoops, one. Yeah. we got this wrong. Whoops, oops, here's another patch. So I think everyone, myself included, were hoping that Catalina would be... Um, a more smooth launch. Mm -hmm. I think it's been smoother, but I don't know if that's saying too much. Sure, Lynn, you, I know you primarily deal with Windows, but you're, you handle Mac sometimes. What are your thoughts on this release and kind of how it compares? I don't, were you doing, like, were you really following computers closely when Vista happened? Because I was in IT and that was a nightmare to cut, to travel and or that was a nightmare to take care of completely. So I didn't have that many problems with like Vista or even XP was great. Vista was the troubled one and I didn't have problems with either. I just refused to update to Vista for the longest time and I was pretty young so I didn't smart, really care smart. about security. Um but We're it was We're going to talk about ages here to make us feel Oh, old. I see. It's I... okay. <laughs> But I will let's let's I mean, when I saw the Catalina stuff popping up all over Twitter, I definitely really enjoyed all you Mac users and your troubles and your pain because <laughs> first you got the bad keyboards. Now you've got this bad software. I mean, don't get me wrong. My, my biggest disgrace or like moment of shame with Windows was when Windows 8 was happening and they were trying to ma make Metro UI happen. And I do feel like Vista was a bigger disgrace. That was just in terms of security and everything, but yeah. yeah. I I mean not to bring up age again, but during that period of time I didn't really care. So Yeah, it didn't matter to me, therefore it was not important. Uh, <laughs> the fickleness of youth. I, I mean, I would say in in Windows or Microsoft's history there have been more troubled periods than maybe in Apple software history, but mm -hmm. uh it's fun then to now have it be our turn to sit back and laugh at the other side it's of the It's fun then. Sherlyn is a little sadistic, as you will all learn. Um, Just a definitely tad. follow her on Twitter as I yell at her for all sorts of things. Dana, what's up? So what I think about Catalina is that the potential upside was actually not very high. So this was not a huge release for Mac OS. It was really all about the apps. So there were a few new Mac apps. There was the Find My app, the new podcast app. There was the ability to use your iPad Pro or um, any iPad with pencil support as a secondary display. Sidecar, yeah. Yes, yeah, sidecar. And you can do Apple Arcade from the Mac. Um, 
I don't think these are huge benefits. They're nice to have, but even packaged together, I don't think it's a major update or an essential update. So the potential upside was, I think, fairly minimal. But as you can see from people's reactions online, the potential inconveniences Mm -hmm. and the risk of things going wrong was probably greater than the potential upside, right? Definitely. I feel like for Mac releases in general, you're always better off waiting. iOS, I feel like people want to jump to faster because they tend to drop better features quickly. With macOS in general, it seems like it's worth waiting a month or two to see how the stability is, how software is being supported. And for this one, it sounds like just just wait, wait, folks. You do, there's no rush really to upgrade to this one. No rush. I would say that, again, if you have a fairly basic set of needs and you're using thoroughly modern apps like the kinds that I'm saying I'm using, you will probably be fine. But at your own risk, as always, mm-hmm. you might end up really frustrated like these other people on Twitter. <laughs> I will say this is the one time I tried to upgrade to a, a Mac update super quickly and our IT department won't let us. So the one time, the one time I want to do one of their updates, I can't do it. Bastards. Sherlyn, you're going to be covering Google's Pixel event next week. So let's shift over to that. What are you expecting? What's uh- going on there? I'm expecting what everybody knows is going to happen and going to come out, which is the Pixel 4 and the Pixel 4 XL. I mean... I've never heard of the Pixel 4 before. Like, what? Yeah, it's a brand new device that's kept under wraps really well. I mean, Google won't even confirm. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) The joke is it's the most leaked device probably. No, actually, Sherlyn is just an ace reporter who (laughs) has excellent sources. I have inside the boards of the company. Google Google, uh, itself told me and the rest of the world that the Pixel 4 is real and even published like a blog post telling us that there's going to be this radar sensing feature to let you use your hands (laughs) to interact with the phone. Um, I mean, listen, we're going to see two phones. They're practically, there's everything that we could probably know about them, we more or less know. But I am excited to see what else Google has in store. Now, it's like, uh, the, it's called the Made by Google event. In the past, this used to just be there like computers so their pixel books and mm-hmm. you know pixel tablets we shall not talk of the tablets because apparently google doesn't want to make them anymore <laughs> but we're... They, they were terrible yes exactly well we're expecting a new pixel book from google again based on rumors and reports or completely like according to nine to five google a pixel book go is coming and it's a slightly less or probably less expensive version of the original pixel book which was a thousand dollar Chromebook, which at the time it launched about two years ago, was yeah. ridiculous. No one wanted to use an expensive Chromebook. Well, Those... let's not forget the Pixel, the Pixel, which also predated that by a couple of years, which was like a twelve hundred dollar Chromebook oh, at a time boy. when Chromebooks were even worse. The so, Pixel yeah. C, all they just Google just wanted to make keep making expensive <laughs> hardware, which made sense because their their kind of idea was to put you know the best specs and the best guts they could just to show off what they could do. And now they're trying to actually get people to buy these things. So I think we're going to see, I mean, with the trend in the Pixel 3a prices coming down in their hardware series, we're going to see that this is pretty likely to cost hopefully a lot less than the Pixel Book. So there's something I want to say about Google's hardware. But before we get into that, any other devices you're expecting at this event, Lynn? Yeah, let's not forget uh, Google owns or Google rebranded this year to its smart home division to be called Google Nest. And so I'm expecting smart home devices. Yeah. We did the see... one good brand. Well, yeah. well, all right. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting to see new speakers. Maybe, I don't know, do we want to see new displays coming out of Google? I mean, we saw one earlier this year. Um, just a lot of smart home stuff I'm expecting. The rumors are a new mini speaker as well as uh, some sort of router speaker hybrid. So we'll see. Gotcha, gotcha. It's exciting. I feel like... Here's the thing. We were, we were going down the list of like failed pixel projects, uh, the the pointlessness of expensive Chromebooks. I think Google sucks at hardware. No. I think completely sucks at hardware. Sherlyn, no. why? Why not? They're improving. All right. Devinder, like, okay. No, 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 no. So, okay. Improving. Improving means you're coming from a place of failure. So, <laughs> yes. Wow. That means they're starting badly and they're getting better. Did but you? But yeah, all those... Did Here's you start a, as a yeah, perfect reporter from the Chromebooks. beginning of time? Were you like the best writer yes. or the best yes, IT I did. guy? No. I did. I did. That's Everyone has to start let, somewhere. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you. Um, I have a lot. I have strong feelings about Chromebooks. I, I don't really like them unless they're super cheap and like disposable for schools. Like that's where they're best. I have very hateful feelings towards expensive Chromebooks because it feels like Google's trying to sell us you know, half-baked PCs at the price of a full PC. They never ended up well. The The tablets were terrible. I'm still angry that Google couldn't do anything with Motorola when they had Motorola. Like, I was there for the Moto X launch, and those were so cool and inexpensive, and they gave up on that and let Lenovo take it over later I... on. So it just seems like now, okay, now maybe they're getting better, but I, it feels like that's why they rebranded, right? Like They need to wash the stink of failure away from them. What you mean with the phones? You mean the, that's the reason they rebranded from Nexus to Pixel? Well, no, no. I mean, that's the reason for Nest. I'm talking about the Nest rebrand. That's why they rebranded their home products, because nobody, nobody cares about Google Home, but a Nest home product, maybe. The Nest thermostat was certainly one of the coolest home devices we got early on. I don't know. I'm looking at Amazon's lineup, and I think you're being a little harsh. Google, first of all, makes great phones. I consider, now switching, I consider switching to the Pixel about yeah. once a month, maybe once a week, even. But you look back at Amazon, which just had its own event however many weeks ago, mm -hmm. right? Feels like forever ago. Yeah. But they, too, just unleashed this fire hose of new stuff. 20 I, devices, yeah. So I would say um, these are two big companies, right? They can afford to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And in a way, that perhaps is what they both are doing. But I would say in comparison to Amazon, which I never thought had great design chops, I think Google at least seems to care more about premium design. And I think mm -hmm. their products tend to have the prices to match. But I think Google's products, at least if not perfect, seem a little more polished and considered even than what Amazon is just unleashing at the world. At I its feel own like events. the way I'd see it is like Google's is thinking like maybe like an engineer in terms of like, let's get the best specs in there. Let's make this look maybe as pretty as we can, like engineers and designers doing it. The thing about Amazon, not everything they do sticks. Like the Fire Phone was a complete failure. But the, the things that worked for them fundamentally shifted how we interact with technology, right? The Kindle, everybody laughed at that. That that was a big deal. And that the e-reader market isn't huge, but that was certainly a big deal. And they kind of carved out that. And the the Echo and Alexa really kicked off voice assistants and voice commands when Apple failed to, Google failed to, Microsoft failed to. Amazon makes these big swings and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But I think their big swings are bigger than Google's. So I'm with you. I think that I think that for for these devices that Amazon has come up with, innovation seems to be like a, a, their stronger uh, you know, suit, I guess. What Google excels at. And maybe to your point where you're saying that their hardware sucks, I think you can say that their hardware is poor compared to their software. Remember the Nexus Q? 
It's mm-hmm. things like that that I still remember, and they almost released and just didn't. But yeah, Again, go ahead. Go ahead. That's, that's ages ago. I'm just saying that these days, <laughs> Google's, <laughs> these days, what Google tends to do is, yeah, sure, the hardware, they may skimp a little in terms of, you know, design. They might not make the flashiest looking thing. They may not be breaking boundaries with what they're creating, but their software is just it's not impeccable but it's impressive thinking about assistant and duplex thinking about call screening they're coming up with like actual useful applications for their software and they're better at it than most people are so i mean i'll agree with you to the extent that like yes hardware may not be where google is the best in the market on but their software it tends to often be a canvas for their software to shine gotcha gotcha here's the way i say i think google excels with their services like their online services because that's what they are they're an online company apple excels with their devices typically although we talked about the pcs last year and their last episode and it does seem like they're having issues microsoft does a good job of kind of trying to hit every aspect of the ecosystem so they do a good job of trying to play nice with everybody so it seems like everybody has their roles amazon is just like I don't care what y'all are doing. Here's, you know, here's something crazy. Here's a literal game show buzzer. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a game show buzzer. Sherlyn, any further thoughts on the Google event? Because I know you have to run to catch an airplane. I do. Uh, No, I don't really have that many thoughts except for uh, stay tuned to our live blog. I'm going to be hangry typing. So. Oh, boy. That's always fun. Sherlyn, where can we find you on the Internet these days? Tweet kindly at me on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe, C-H-E-R-L-Y-N-N-L-O-W. I'll see you guys. Bye. Okay, now that Sherlyn's gone, we can really have some fun. Dana, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about this device. Imagine something six to eight inches long. That's uh, you know, that's kind of kind of lengthy. Um, you'll have to manhandle it several times a day. I'm, I'm talking about Andy Rubin's new phone, the new essential phone, which uh, I, I think we've taken to calling the dick phone because it's just a it is a very long device. That's just what it looks like. What were your first thoughts seeing this thing? I mean, it's a phone. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, what I first saw was in Gadget's headline, which was that Andy Rubin was promising a new form factor. Again. A new form factor again. Mm-hmm. And so you click in and you look at the photos and it's a phone. It's a little narrower and it's taller than... It's a lot narrower. It's, it's a, a lot taller. It's a lot narrower and yeah. it's a lot taller, but <laughs> it is a phone. It is just a phone. It is a phone. It's just funny um, because so after Andy Rubin was uh, you know thrown out of Google with a nice ninety million dollar parachute uh, thanks to uh, let me let me say that again it is funny after Andy Rubin was kicked out of Google uh, albeit with a very nice ninety million dollar payout over sexual misconduct um, he is back again with a second phone the essential phone which was his play for like let's just throw all these specs into here and make the the most powerful android phone around didn't exactly work so it seems like he's taking another strategy of just like well this doesn't look like anything else maybe people will like this i guess um any thoughts about this form factor because it just seems it seems weird it doesn't seem particularly pocketable it doesn't seem like something I'd be able to use easily, given like how we've grown used to having multi-touch gestures I'm, and everything. I'm old enough to remember candy bar phones, but yeah. I don't think that's a form factor people are particularly nostalgic for. I actually think I hear more nostalgia for flip phones than mm-hmm. I do the candy bar form factor. Which is probably what we're getting with folding phones. Like We'll get some of that flip phone action again, which I love. I Honestly, I miss the candy bars. I really like the, uh, the Sony Ericsson's back in the day. Those were really cool, good-looking phones, pre-smartphones. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'd call this a candy bar. It just looks like he, he made a very long touchscreen and dot, dot, dot profit. I don't know. All jokes aside about it being a dick phone and all that. I think, 
I am more interested in the conversation, I think, about what it is like sometimes to cover these gadgets and how hard it would be to cover some of these gadgets divorced from their context. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I would put something like the Facebook portal in the same category. Sure. Like you could review the Facebook portal and you could review it just based on cold, hard things like specs. But you'd be missing in that case a discussion around privacy. Does Facebook belong in people's living rooms and bedrooms? And are with... they good stewards of our data like they, they've proven themselves not to be? Yeah. Right. And in the case of the essential phone, yeah, we could talk about the specs. But in a way, it's missing the point that this very troubled character in the tech world sort of is essential. He's not just one mm -hmm. executive or one employee. He kind of he was the founder of Android. Like he designed the sidekick, right? Like that. The, uh, he is uh, why we are interested in essential. Yeah, that's it's pretty much all him. Well, I'm wondering if this is going to succeed where the essential phone failed. I I'm not not really putting too much hope on that. I just think it's worth talking about the power outages that PG&E announced this week in California. We saw the news coming out that initially it was 800,000 people are going to be without power for up to five days. It sounds like it could actually affect millions of people because their numbers just count houses and apartment buildings and not like individuals. So this they're doing this um, basically to help prevent future wildfires like what happened last year because they're predicting high winds in California. And there's a lot of infrastructure that's vulnerable to that. This just seems insane to me because this is the heart of Silicon Valley, right? That's California not going to have power. California is the most populous state in the union. Yeah. And more than half of California's counties are impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And it's not as simple as flipping the switch back on. pg and &E thinks that as of today, we're recording on Thursday, they think that they'll start re uh, restoring power today. But they did say, I think, that restoring power could take up to five days. Yeah. That is um, more than just the equivalent of a snow day where you're huddled at home with your generator. I mean, that is a real yeah. disruption, a potentially dangerous one. A totally dangerous one. Like there, this is going to affect families. This is going to affect people who are sick and elderly. This is certainly going to affect businesses too. Like I know um, the, uh, the This Week in Tech studio, they're based in Petaluma and they just can't have a show right now. And, you know, that's on the tech side of things. But yeah, the danger is certainly there um, people who need medical devices, people who need medical assistance really quickly. I saw some cities just say, you know, call 911, call emergency services. That is not a solution. It seems like they, they had to do this immediately and didn't really have a plan for it. This just seems insane. I think that's really all I can say right now. It seems, it seems like we're confronting the reality of climate change. So this is something we'll probably be covering deeper uh, down the line, just because we're seeing more and more of this here in New York. Uh, we saw um, Superstorm Sandy you know, several years ago, which put everything under 14th Street underwater. I was here for that. That was terrifying to see. And the city tried to do some things to help you know prevent issues and fix the tunnels but we have it, that could easily happen again right it just seems like these things can happen and we really don't have any control over it what's troubling too is that in reading a lot of coverage about this pg&e blackout there's a lot of emphasis on why pg&e is doing this and the preventive aspect of it but i've read very little actually about what the company could be doing otherwise to let's say update its gear right. and its infrastructure that has been causing all of these problems. And I, I would hope that the media that is year-round covering local affairs in California and is covering um, big oil and gas in California, that um, maybe press them on that. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be the thing moving forward. I was looking at the maps for the outages and the maps 
very, very gently just leave a lot of space around San Francisco and the the major hub of Silicon Valley. So like Mountain View and Sunnyvale and everything, they'll still have power. Uh, their reasoning is that they have stronger uh, infrastructure and stronger connections. But it does seem like this is yet another thing that's going to pit like the, you know, billion dollar tech companies versus the normal people who live around them. Talk about a digital divide. Yeah, completely. We'll be keeping a close eye on this and good luck everybody who has to live through this on the West Coast. Stay safe. Now for something a little lighter, and we'll wrap things up by talking about our picks, just cool bits of pop culture that are giving us joy in the world. Are you sure? My pick isn't very light. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about briefly Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, which is a new TV show on Adult Swim and Cartoon Network. And this is a guy I love. He created Dexter's Laboratory. He was involved with Powerpuff Girls, like older cartoon shows but what i really love is his like more mature animation so samurai jack which is something he did recently he did the he did some star wars clone wars cartoons uh in the early the mid aughts i believe like right after the prequels i love animation you're gonna hear me talk about that a lot and i love the power of 2d animation and it feels like with the move to cg and a lot of computer generated stuff we're kind of losing some of the elegance of 2d so primal is a throwback to that uh it is dialogue free it's a show um set in prehistoric times with basically a caveman who faces a significant loss and teams up with a dinosaur to uh to recal across the world it is brutal it is emotional it is very violent but i think also very beautiful too like there's something he does with animation that i just love uh i love that he brought back samurai jack for a final season so yeah if you're into any of that stuff be sure to check out primal and Dana, what was your pick? So I recently saw the documentary, Where's My Roy Cohn? And for those who don't know, Roy Cohn is, or was, um, Donald Trump's personal lawyer and fixer in Light the viewing. 70s and yeah. 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and he's um, he's this enormous character in pop culture. Even before Trump became president, he's the guy at the center of Angels in America. And so I think, though, seeing this documentary, I don't think it was perfect. I thought it was really compelling. And I think what it got me thinking about was what a creative challenge it must be to portray this particular man. I felt that the documentary, one of my problems with it, but also one of the things I keep thinking about is I don't think the documentary could make up its mind about whether this man was evil, whether he was just a wounded man with an overbearing mother. (laughs) They always do that. What's the source of his evil? I don't know. Yeah. So the yeah. movie couldn't um, make up its mind about him. I don't know if viewers are supposed to either. But it, it got me thinking that he is this enormous figure in pop culture. He's been portrayed many times. And what a challenge it must be to portray him in particular. Gotcha. And where can you find the stock again? I saw it in theaters. Gotcha. And um, I think, yeah, it's going to be on VOD eventually. But yeah, theaters right now. I saw now. it in Art House Theater in Manhattan. Excellent. One thing I quickly wanted to mention to you, also kind of art house cinema, is Gemini Man, the new action movie directed by Ang Lee and starring two Will Smiths. And I'm going to be writing about this a bit in Gadget. What's really interesting, uh, I saw the basically the world premiere at a tiny the Dolby screening room here in New York. And what's interesting is this movie is being presented in 120 FPS, um, 4K at the highest resolution. I saw it in 2K, unfortunately, and 3D. And I think that's interesting because Ang Lee is a guy who is always trying to push boundaries. I think as somebody who covers, I cover innovation. I cover people who take wild creative swings. He is a guy always doing that. Uh, You know, he, after making some great American dramas in the 90s, he went and made a huge martial arts movie that ended up being like the, you know, one of the biggest movies of all time. Um, He pushed 3D with Life of Pi. He 
tried to do comic book movies before, like the whole Marvel Studios thing was up and running. So he takes big swings. Uh, they don't always succeed. Uh, there's a lot of debate about Ang Lee's Hulk. But Gemini Man looks really interesting. He tried this whole high frame rate thing with Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, which is not a great movie, but it was kind of more of a tech demo. And what's really cool is a high frame rate just takes away sort of the artifice on the cinema screen. So it's sort of like you're watching a giant window into real life. And it's kind of weird. It's kind of freaky because movies aren't supposed to look like that. But I'm fascinated with what he's doing. Uh, and Gemini Man, you know, the script, it's not a great sci-fi movie. It is certainly something that hits a lot of uh, uh, things that I enjoy, like Clive Owen and Will Smith in action mode and great choreography. I think Ang Lee does a good job with this technology because there are certain things. There's a motorcycle chase in this movie that almost that, like blew my hair back. Because it feels like you're riding on a motorcycle with Will Smith. And it just feels so visceral and so real. And he's like fighting against this other dip Will Smith, which is a digital doppelganger. Um, and there's going to be a lot written about that. But I think the high frame rate stuff is what really makes this movie special. So if you're interested in weird action movies and kind of the future of cinema and how things could look, be sure to check this out. Try to find it in the theater with high frame rates. The story there is that most theaters are only going to be presenting it in 60 FPS, which is half of the shot resolution. Still a bit faster, but not not the same effect. And I will say, uh, if you sat through any of those terrible Hobbit movies, which were at 48 FPS, it is kind of the same idea. But um, I think what we're seeing is Ang Lee is also retooling the language of cinema to reflect this new technology, whereas the Hobbit movies did not, and they looked like trash because of it. I haven't seen the Hobbit movies, <laughs> but you know that. <laughs> Have you seen the Lord of the Rings movies, Dana? No. So the running joke here is that uh, Dana Dana is a bit pop culture challenged. So we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun with this, and we also have a running list of movies to introduce to Dana. So that I, was made when we were doing the last iteration yeah, of the podcast, and I, yeah. I have not put a huge <laughs> dent in it. Dana, what movies have you not seen so far? Like big ones. It's okay. This is a safe space, but I will make fun of you. Um. I haven't seen the first Terminator. I saw Terminator 2. Okay. All right. What's the one where he comes in demanding someone's boots and motorcycle? That's two. That's okay, two, so two. I've seen two. Okay. I mean, I, I feel honestly, a lot of people have not seen Terminator 1 because that was a much smaller movie and it came so much longer before. Uh, I'm trying to think. Have you seen any Star Wars? Yes, I've seen Star Wars. Don't give me that look. I'll give you guys a, just a little window into the behind the scenes. So the news desk and Engadget, they have two running jokes, both of which really get under my skin. One is that they keep saying I haven't seen Star Wars, and I have seen Star Wars. Okay. The second thing is they started a rumor that I am a, th a fan of um, Big Bang Theory, which I am not. <laughs> Honestly, I could see it. I could see Dana being a huge fan uh. of Big Bang Theory. Okay. We're going to take that to the end. Let's wrap things up, folks. Thank you for joining us. As always, you can email us at podcast at engadget.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review because that's the sort of thing that makes podcasts stick around. And our music for this episode comes from managing editor Terrence O'Brien. Uh, we're going to be changing up music all around, but I really like this track that he made when he was testing out the synthesizer. This episode was produced by Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Be sure to check out Engadget's other podcasts, The Morning After with Matt Smith in his sultry British tones, and Engadget News, which is a news recap show. And I believe you can get both on Amazon Echo devices and other smart speakers too, right? All of the major platforms. Uh, Dana, where can we find you on the internet these days? So just plug in my full name with no space, Dana Wallman, and that is my handle on 
Twitter. That is my handle on Instagram. Um, you could look me up on <laughs> Pinterest. I think you will be bored. And, yeah. um, and I'm private Pinterest, on Pinterest. I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, if you want to <laughs> see my quiche collection, go for it. But yeah, I am Dana Wallman. Um, wherever you find your social media. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. Check out Engadget for all the stuff I'm reviewing. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to be seeing those Microsoft devices soon. So I'm really looking forward to diving into those. Um, what's coming up? I also just reviewed the Dell XPS 13 2-in-1, which I really love. So go go check out that review and get it, just go touch that computer because I'm really fascinated 94. By it. 94. I've, I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, as for other projects, you can check out my movie and TV podcast, uh, the Slash Filmcast over at SlashFilm.com. You can hear me rant more about pop culture there, and we will be reviewing Gemini Man soon. And with that, we are out, folks. Have a good one. Bye.